Those are the disturbing sounds of a protest at Concordia University in Montreal. One of many protests at Canadian universities, universities around the Western world taking part to denounce Israel. In that clip, what you heard was a professor from the University of Montreal telling a Jewish student to go back to Poland before calling her a whore. Behind him, students join in in the protest, calling out colonizer, colonizer. This is what we're seeing around the world as the war in the Middle East, as the war between Hamas, that Hamas started against Israel, spills over into the streets of Western society. And we're watching it through a particular lens. Are we getting the whole story? Hello, welcome to the Full Comment Podcast. My name is Brian Lilly, your host. And today we continue to look at Israel. We continue to look at the war, what you're seeing, what you're not seeing or hearing. Where is the truth? Our guest today is Caroline Glick. She is a journalist with the Jewish News Syndicate. She is host of The Caroline Glick Show. And she's an American woman who moved to Israel as a young woman. Like any Israeli, she ended up serving in the Israeli Defense Forces and has been living through the last month and a half, month or so, of this war with her family in Jerusalem. She joins us now. Caroline, thanks for the time. Oh, pleasure to be on your program, Brian. You've been covering Israeli politics for a long time, um, long before the the war broke out a month ago. But did you ever expect what you've been discussing the last few days would be such a topic? These photographers with AP, with Reuters, with CNN, with the New York Times being embedded, not in the fighting now, which you might be able to understand, journalists have long done embedded assignments with you know, both sides of all kinds of wars, but the actual invasion on October 7th, did you ever think that that would be something you'd be discussing? Look, I, I didn't get, give it a lot of thought. So to say that I was, you know, that, that I was flummoxed by it. No, I mean, it never occurred to me that it would happen, but it never occurred to me that it didn't happen. But on the other hand, our experience with the international media and with their Palestinian fixers and, um, their, their Palestinian correspondence in Gaza in particular, but also in the West Bank, has been that the Palestinian fixers and the Palestinian reporters that work for these international uh, news agencies are very much mobilized on behalf of these Palestinian terrorist organizations. We saw back in the 2000s in the Palestinian terror war, Reuters uh, photographers and Reuters reporters repeatedly were ferrying terrorists to and from uh, terrorist attacks in Gaza. Um, we had a 2003 uh, suicide bombing at a restaurant in Tel Aviv adjacent to the American embassy called Mike's Place. And the terrorist suicide bombers who were British actually were brought to the site of the bombing by an Italian journalist. I mean, so we've had a lot of a lot of uh, incidences in in in, in uh, over the years in which. Uh, Palestinian and also international journalists have uh, been engaged in assisting uh, in terrorist attacks against Israel. And then the, the coverage itself has been uh, constrained or has censored, self-censored information. For instance, AP censored deliberately the fact that uh, Hamas 
dead that they count them in in over the years in in repeated uh, rounds of fighting against Israel. Uh, they count their dead terrorists as civilians, so that they so that now they're saying there are four thousand dead children. There are I think nine thousand overall civilian casualties. Um, and there's absolutely no reason to trust the numbers because in in the past we've discovered that both news services and Hamas, which is putting out this information as propaganda, always say that their fighters are you know eight year old children and they're and they're not. And so we're not surprised by the collusion of the media. We're not surprised by the propagandas. The fact that these photographers, I mean, we saw a Reuters photographer was actually doing a selfie of his invasion of Israel. And he was uh, holding, he's holding a, 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 a hand grenade in his hands. You shared that on X. He's he's on the back of a motorcycle. Hassan uh, Esliaya is, you know, someone who has worked for all of these major news organizations. And he's got a grenade on the back of a motorcycle. That, that you know, even with what you've discussed, and, and I've known some of it, it's still shocking to me that they would ride shotgun on the way to an invasion. Right. Holding a hand grenade. He's holding a hand grenade in his hand. So he's a terrorist. I mean, that's the point is that these people say that they're reporters and they're actually terrorists and they're part of like the, you know, military spokesman, you know, agency unit in the Canadian military or in the Israeli military or in the American military, or what have you, except that they're both terrorists and so-called reporters. And what's worse about it is that, you know, our soldiers who are in the military spokesman's unit, they, they, they're, they're in uniform and you know that it's their statements. But in this case, the New York Times, CNN, AP, and, and Reuters are paying them for their propaganda. They're paying, they're actually financing terrorism by paying these people money for their work. We've been dealing with the issue that our state broadcaster here in Canada, CBC, won't refer to Hamas as a terrorist organization. That's a longstanding policy. I think it's a wrong-headed one. Uh, it post-media, be it Toronto Sun, National Post, we call them terrorists. We call them what they are. Uh, but we seem to be in the minority uh, among many in the, in the Western media. Uh, we finally got some pushback where they started to say, when they're reporting the death counts that you were discussing, it, before it was just the Hamas Ministry of Health says. And there would be... Or the Gaza. Or, or yeah, sorry, the Gaza, the Gaza Ministry, Ministry of Health. There'd be no... <laughs> but it is the Hamas Ministry of Health. There'd be no acknowledgement until recently that, well, okay, maybe take this with a grain of salt, but this group controlled by Hamas says this. They're now, some of them, starting to say the... Hamas-controlled Gaza Ministry of Health. It, 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 how, how do you know average citizens who still, for the most part, I believe, are on Israel's side here in Canada and in the United States, how do they put on the pressure on these media outlets to start telling the truth? Um, you know, I, I don't really know. I mean, we, we've gone around this. We've, we've been subjected to this brutal abuse by the International Press Corps here in Israel for decades, for decades, for as long as I remember, and I'm in my nine, and I'm in my fifties. Um, you know, we've we've never ever seen coverage uh, by the so-called mainstream media in the West of Israel that is anywhere even in the neighborhood of fair or objective. So, 
you know, what can you do? I, I don't know. You want to protest outside? Uh, you want to you wanna say you're not going to pay your fee for CBC <laughs> uh, so long as they continue to uh, treat Hamas as some sort of a military organization because you never heard of a military organization that burns babies alive. I mean, you can do any of those things, but I, I, it, so long as they have, uh, they they know that they will always be budgeted, that nobody will be fired, that nobody will be held to account, and that's what we see also in Israel. I mean, our media is terrible here as well, and the worst are the people in the state media because. They don't have to worry about any profit margin. They'll get their money no matter what. And as long as your government doesn't threaten their funding from the government, they're going to continue on. So I think the only thing that you can do is pressure your government to stop funding them. Israel has, um, I was having this debate with uh, with one of my colleagues. I said, I think Israel has done fairly well in the PR battle. And they said, do you really think so? They seem to be losing. And I said, well, imagine what it would be like if the spokespeople for the IDF weren't out there uh, putting out straightforward information. And you can take what the IDF says with a grain of salt as well, if you wish. You know, it, it's probably wise to to do that for all sides when you're dealing with a, with a war. But without them being out there, they, they wouldn't... I mean, it would be even more one-sided than it is now. But but I want to ask you, you you've got teenagers, um, the... the <laughs> The world has changed, and young people are consuming all their news, what news they do consume, um, at the end of their hand, on their phones. They're on TikTok. And so the IDF and, and the various spokespeople, they're great at going on TV. They're even pretty good at Twitter and Facebook. But one of my colleagues recently did an audit of how the, the war is being covered on TikTok, and he said, Hamas is winning there. Um, have have the Israeli defense forces, the Israeli government, have they adjusted for the new time period? I mean, there's nothing you can do about Al Jazeera, but you know, have they adjusted to the new technology and the way people are are consuming news? Because I'm sure you saw the poll that showed 18 to 24 year olds in America mostly backing Hamas. Look, I mean, the first of all, yes, I think that we have soldiers, young soldiers, who are doing videos on TikTok as well. And a lot of Israeli influencers are on TikTok as well, but there's really nothing you can do because TikTok is a Chinese platform and they're pushing out this stuff with their algorithms and they're putting the Bella Hadids of the world on everybody's front page. And this is very much a deliberate policy on the part of the Chinese communist uh, uh, regime. So, you know, this isn't this isn't entirely, under, you know, in something that can be controlled by Israel and uh and and it's a problem. I mean, the Trump administration's warnings about TikTok, which the Biden administration ignored, w- were based on on reality. You know, TikTok is a hostile platform. They're poisoning the brains of Americans. They're poisoning the brains of young people all over the Western world. And you look at the what what the content that Chinese uh, children are are getting are consuming from TikTok, and it's all mind games. It's all Rubik's cubes and things like that to improve their their cognitive capabilities. And in America, they're, they're the exact opposite. They're trying to dumb everybody down and make them addicted to pornography. So, you know, there's only so much that you can do in a platform like that. And I think Israel is doing its best, but I was looking at the data, maybe it was the data that you're, that you guys compiled, but I mean, it, it, the, the disparity between what young people are seeing of pro-Israel versus pro-Hamas 
uh, TikTok post. I don't know what it was. Was it a hundred to one or ten to one? I mean, it was an it was an enormous disparity between the two. And I, I don't know how much, uh, how many resources Israel can put into it. I mean, the other thing is that you have to understand that these young people are predisposed to hate Israel because they've been indoctrinated uh, by the, by the, by the, uh, what do they call the, the diversity crowd, the DEI crowd, to think that, you know, that Israel is an oppressor here and that Hamas is the oppressed and Israel therefore can do no good and we deserve to be raped and butchered and kidnapped. And Hamas can do no wrong because, you know, whatever, the fact that there's been no Israeli presence in Gaza since 2005 is immaterial. You know, the, the, it's all facts have no meaning for people who have been indoctrinated into this false narrative that says that Israel's to blame for everything. It's a blood libel, but it's being taught to children in, throughout Western throughout the Western world, beginning in kindergarten and going through university and, and, and postgraduate studies that, you know, you can go to the best university in, 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 in a Western country. You can go to the best schools and you will never read a book about Israel that has any truth to it. And they're all written by professors who have been tenured because that's what they do. They've on, they're on this assembly line of lying. And so you know, these people, in many cases, they just, you know, you, you they're, it's like a lead box. You know, you can't get any truth into them because they're fully indoctrinated. It's, that's the real problem. It's a bigger problem than TikTok. But the same people who allow TikTok to operate in Western countries, knowing that it's a Chinese Communist Party platform for propaganda, uh, they're really, you know, they're to blame. And they're the same people who have been enabling this indoctrination of, of, of the West. We we had um, professors at York University and the University of Toronto at law schools, so probably our two most preeminent law schools in the country, put out statements in support of the resistance in the hours and days after the October 7th attack. Uh, this week, we've had you know, more demonstrations at Concordia University in Montreal. A professor from uh, the University of Montreal showed up at Concordia and was yelling at a Jewish student, go back to Poland. You know, that's one of the tropes, right? Well, Jews aren't, um, they're, not, they're not indigenous to the Middle East. They come from Poland. They come from Eastern Europe. Go back there. Uh, but the students behind him just kept yelling colonizers, colonizers, at a group of Jewish students trying to set up a just a, it was an information table. That that's that's the level of indoctrination that you're talking about. That we we didn't seem to care or mind as these ideas are put forward, and people would just say, "Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, it's fine. What harm can it cause?" And I've been speaking out against it for years, and now we see exactly what kind of harm this causes. Yeah, I've been speaking out against it and warning about it for more years than I can remember. But um, you're right, uh, and uh, and now suddenly the Jews in America, the Jews in Canada, the Jews in in Australia and other places are waking up to the fact that while they were explaining away this anti-Western indoctrination that placed the Jews sort of in the center of the groups that you're supposed to hate. Right. In addition to white people, in addition to their their founding fathers and all of their different countries, um, 
you know, that they were explaining this away and Black Lives Matter and we're liberal and, you know, we want to help the oppressed because we believe in that too, because we're liberals, that they never understood that the people who were pushing these lines hate them. And now they're suddenly waking up that this is what they, they refuse to see. And, you know, people like, I assume you and certainly myself, you know, we were demonized for calling out the hate. Because we were alarmists, or we're well. We're how can how can you, you be know? against how can you be against diversity, Caroline? Diversity's good. How Except can you be against equality? Right. It doesn't Except include Jews. It doesn't include white people. It, you know, it, it just goes on and on. It's it doesn't include um, men. It, it's like Animal Farm. It doesn't include men unless they're not heterosexual, and and those it really depends what they are. So I mean, it's all of these groups that are not included in in the in the protected classes the minute that you develop comp- uh, protected classes then obviously by omission you're saying these people you can attack and it's okay and with impunity and look you know a, a jewish man a 16 69 year old man was bludgeoned to death on the streets of los angeles right this week and his assailant his his identity is known he was video doing it and the police still haven't arrested him and he's and he's got hamas propaganda and praise for Hamas on his social media. And he deliberately targeted this old Jewish man for death, and he killed him. And and the sheriff of Ventura County in Los Angeles is saying he doesn't know, you know, he died of cerebral bleeding after he fell on his head. And he doesn't know whether it was a blow to the head by a megaphone that caused him to fall, or whether maybe he had some, you know, brain problem that caused him to fall, and he would have fallen anyway, you know, it's like, you know, oh you were shot goodness. in the head with a with 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 a, with a bullet, and your brain explodes. But you know, the shooter isn't arrested because the sheriff can't decide whether you know your brain might have exploded on its own, even if you hadn't been shot. So that's the same thing, and that's what he's saying. That's that sixty nine year old uh, Philip Kessler, who is dead, right? Is 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 still not? It's still his assailant is at large because. Los Angeles can't figure out whether killing an old Jewish man holding an Israeli flag in front of a bunch of pro-Hamas, pro-genocide uh, demonstrators on the streets of Los Angeles, California, whether killing him is a crime or not. You know, because both sides, right? Uh, we, we, we've had a, an imam in Montreal lead people in a chant calling for God to kill all of uh, their enemies. Uh, I'm looking at one of the videos that you posted in Brooklyn of a Hamas supporter taunting a Jewish man because he's bleeding after they hit him over the head with a chair. Uh, Suella Braverman, who's the British Home Secretary, actually came out with a, a piece in the Times of London saying that police in that country, metropolitan police specifically in London, are treating what's happening now very differently than they would any other uh, mass uh, protest organizing um, that they would crack down on others and they're not cracking down here and she's calling them up for it. There are calls for her to be fired for pointing this out. But whether it's here in Canada, in the United States, in Britain, there is a double standard at play. Look, I mean, Suella Braverman isn't saying anything that should be even slightly controversial. 
But the Metropolitan Police, they have an, an Islamic Affairs advisor. It was reported last week. This guy led chants from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. And he is advising the Metropolitan Police in London about how to handle Muslims. So not surprisingly, if these are the people who are giving you advice, people who support the annihilation of the Jewish state and the Jewish people, then you're going to come up with all kinds of things. Like, for instance, on your National Remembrance Day of, for the British soldiers who were killed fighting world, the world wars, that you're going to have a, a million-man march of terrorist supporters, of, of genocide supporters walking through the streets of London. And, you know, openly, virulently hateful of Jewish people, hateful of, of Britain, hateful of the country that they've immigrated to. They hate it and they hate what it represents and they hate Jews and they want all Jews to be dead. And the Metropolitan Police doesn't have any problem with them marching. And by the way, you know, every previous weekend that they've had these mass marches, mass rallies on the streets of London by these jihadists, People, th these jihadists have, lo and behold, attacked and, and hurt people, hurt police officers. They've attacked police officers. They've attacked Jews. They've attacked innocent people walking down the street, including innocent Jews. Right. There's such a thing. But nothing's happening to them. Instead, the Metropolitan Police is demonizing Suella Braverman for calling them out on this. Our prime minister finally came out with a bold statement few days ago, uh, denouncing anti-Semitism, saying that this is not who we are as Canadians. But it took Justin Trudeau several weeks to do this. Um, he, uh, he had to wait until there were two firebombings in his hometown, of uh, one of a Jewish community center, one of a, uh, a, uh, a synagogue. Um, there has since then been two shootings at Jewish schools in the same area. Um, we've had the you know, a Roma espresso bar uh, targeted with thousands of people showing up outside locations, banging on the windows, uh, graffiti, yelling for boycotts uh, because there is Zionist businesses, a uh, cafe land where the same thing. This has gone on and on. And it, and it took him weeks to finally say it. If leaders don't speak up early and quickly, it allows this sort of bullshit to grow. You're right, and it's not just that. You have to remember what the effect of these of these attacks on these Jewish on these Jewish uh, institutions and, and kosher restaurants is. I mean, all of them are located in neighborhoods with large Jewish populations, and so the people who live in these areas, even if they did, weren't they weren't directly targeted, they're terrorized by what just happened because it's in their home. It's where they go to school. It's where they go to synagogue. It's where they eat. Um, these are cafes that, you know, that, that religious Jews eat at because they're kosher. So you're, you're, you're talking about a phenomenon that's, that's geared towards terrorizing the entire Jewish community of, 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 uh, of, um, of Canada. And just like it's happening in America as well, and in Australia and in other countries, and the thing about your prime minister, Justin Trudeau, I'm glad that he came out with a statement. I haven't seen it. But, you know, we have to remember, I mean, we in Israel were appalled and the image was widely shared on Halloween, right? After they beheaded, I don't know how many 
hundreds of Israelis, soldiers, Mm -hmm. young men, and babies, right, on October 7th. His son, he he took a picture, how cute, of his son's uh, uh, Halloween costume that his son is about to go out in, and it's of somebody without a head. And he's carrying the skull in his hand. And Israelis looked at that and said, what the hell is this? I mean, he's got cultural sensitivity to every every minority group anybody ever heard of and some probably that you've never heard of. But we just went through a slaughter of Holocaust proportions where among the many sadistic acts of, of Hamas monsters was wholesale, wide-scale beheading of Jewish victims, and not only Jewish victims, also Thai uh Thai farmers who work here as as uh as um as guest workers in our fields they were also subjected to beheading and torture and here is the prime minister of canada's son dressed up as somebody without a head it it was it, we we were appalled by it and that's actually frankly the only thing that i remember since october 7th in relation to your prime minister yeah, well, he um, he's been a bit soft. He was good with his initial statement on Israel having a right to defend itself in calling Hamas what it is, a terrorist organization. Uh, but I, until this statement just a few days ago, he's been he's been very soft. He's been trying to heal divides in his party because uh, there are people who think um, he shouldn't be so kind to Israel, that he should be more on the Palestinian side. And, you know, that's something that progressive parties in particular, not just them, but in particular, they are having to deal with right now as, um, as this pulls them apart. Uh, Caroline, we've got to take a break, but when we come back, I, I want to ask you about the institution capture and the capture of our professional class in this, because so often when we discuss uh, bigotry like this, people slough it off as well, it's the uneducated. Um, we're seeing right now that it's the exact opposite. So I want to ask you about that when we come back. At McGill University on November 9th, the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, there was a poster being distributed. And it called for a national day of shutdown in support of a rally for Gaza. And... You could say, well, look, it's free speech. They're just talking about the issue. But here's the problem. The poster calling for the National Day of Shutdown being distributed on one of Canada's preeminent universities in a city with a large Jewish population, a school with a large Jewish population, featured an image of a group of individuals kicking and breaking glass windows. They were memorializing Kristallnacht while calling for the National Day of Shutdown in relation to Gaza. Caroline, uh, these are our supposed elite institutions. I have watched doctors, lawyers, academics, union leaders, the people who are supposed to be the best and brightest of our society, be the ones leading the charge on horrific anti-Semitic statements, including one doctor saying in response to another doctor online who is one doctor in Toronto said, I'm worried seeing Jewish businesses targeted, uh, our schools, daycare centers, and everything else next. And a fellow doctor replied, 
Look at what's happening in Gaza. You guys deserve all this. This is not what people think of. We don't, you know, stereotype, yes, but it's stereotyped that, well, this sort of bigotry belongs to the uneducated. These people are highly educated. They are supposed to be the elites and they are leading the charge. Right. You know, I mean, I saw that Professor Alan Dershowitz spoke about this, uh, I think, yesterday in a clip that I saw today, where he said that these uh, pro-Hamas demonstrators on university campuses are today's uh, Hitler youth. And that's true. Um, They're acting with the same uh, with the same thuggery that the Hitler youth uh, have behaved, trying to shut down anybody who opposes them and beating them. And we've seen this on Harvard campus. We've seen it at at Columbia campus. We've seen it at all the elite campuses in the United States. And the other thing that we find, and I have a podcast, the Carolyn Glick Show, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Victor Davis Hansen was my guest. And uh, and Victor Hansen explained, he said, look, you know, when you look at the data with the polling, the higher the level of education, the less the support for Israel, because the people who go through these institutions of higher learning, particularly the more elite ones, are fully indoctrinated into this anti this Jew hatred, which has been repackaged from anti-Semitism, which the Nazis and the proto-Nazis invented when they said that the Jews were a race. I mean, we're not a race, but whatever. They said the Jews are a race and we're, we're subhuman, we're the lowest on the totem pole, and we're also the most dangerous. And therefore, we have to be destroyed because every single person who is Jewish is a threat to all that's good. And they repackaged it after the Holocaust as anti-Zionism because the center of Jewish life moved to the state of Israel, the Jewish state. So if you say that you're not anti-Semitic, you're anti-Zionist, well, that may be true. Maybe you don't hate Jews as a race, but you hate Jews as a nation. And now the majority, the largest Jewish community in the world is are the Israeli Jews. You know, there are 7 million Jews in Israel. And, and, uh, and so when you're saying you're anti-Zionist, what you're saying is that you reject the, the basic humanity and the right to exist of the largest Jewish community on earth. And, and that's exactly what's happening. And just as the Nazi youth uh, were uh, all located at the most um, prestigious universities and elite institutions in Germany in the 1930s, um, so too you see that the same annihilationist uh, genocidal Jew hatred that is taking off throughout the Western world, its epicenter is the most elite institutions in in those in those in those countries. And so it's not a surprise that Harvard and Yale and Columbia and Stanford and Cornell have become epicenters of this call for the annihilation of the Jewish people because that's been the focus of efforts of these of these uh, jihado Nazis, you know, we're spending billions and billions of petrodollars, first from Saudi Arabia and then later from Qatar, and then billions of dollars from cultural Marxists like, like George Soros to indoctrinate the young of the West to believe that the heart of evil is the source of it all are the Jews, and particularly the largest Jewish community in the world, uh, Israel, and any Jewish any Jewish person in the diaspora outside of Israel, America, Canada, wherever that supports Israel. That's what BDS is about. It's not anti-Israel. It's anti-Jews who support Israel, which is the overwhelming majority of Jews 
who live outside of Israel. So it's a way of targeting all Jews, and it's a way of targeting the Jewish state, and its epicenter, the focus of the effort of these jihadis and their and their communist supporters, have been the most elite institutions in our societies. When you look at organizations like public sector unions, um, you know our our postal workers union for years has had a fixation on BDS on Israel. It's almost entirely run by every time I look by. Francophone Canadians, French speakers from Montreal and the rest of Quebec, and yet their their absolute fixation is the state of Israel. Um, during the the October seventh massacre, we by the time we woke up in North America, we knew what was going on. We had union leaders like the the head of the Ontario uh, Canadian Union of Public Employees. It represents office workers that you know will process forms for you in a government department. He was celebrating the resistance and posting images of from the river to the sea. I have no idea what, what this has to do with a labor movement, but it seems to have been taken over. Uh, the, the UK Labour Party you know, has gotten rid of Jeremy Corbyn and they've tried to deal with it, but the, there is this obsession that it just leaves me absolutely fluxumed as to why it's there. I mean, do you have any insight on onto that? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, you have to say that Keir Starmer, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's replacement, has been horrible in his statements since October seventh. So, I mean, we just just throw that out there as a little bit, you know, a little bit of of trivia. But um, a lot of these a lot of these public sector unions have also been captivated by cultural marxists and jihadists i mean you see it as well in the united states and uh in the oakland port uh we've seen over the past 15 years repeatedly uh port workers refusing to service israeli ships and uh this week there was an effort to interfere with uh the shipment of military equipment to israel from uh, U.S. bases that were going out of naval ships that were that were um, that were uh, anchored in uh, in Oakland. So uh, these are acts of terrorism, actually, and they're being carried out by unionized port workers in the United States. So that's 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 also you know you see that as well. The public sector unions in the United States, I, I would assume, in Britain as well, and in like you're describing in Canada, have been captivated by these radical uh, progressive organizations. And the Red-Green Alliance is something that we've seen very clearly operating certainly since 2000. And throughout uh, the years that Obama was president of the United States, that cooperation has become much more powerful, um, not only in relation to the Jews, but also in relation to the Jews, but also in relation to American society uh, to Republicans, um, so you're seeing these public sector unions being but weaponized. What is the Red Green Alliance? The Red Green Alliance is the working alliance between uh, groups that you would consider to be progressive, with Muslim organizations that are aligned with jihadist terrorist groups, including Hamas. Um, and you can see the cooperation in things like the. Um, in, in America, for instance, you see it in Black Lives Matter. So Black Lives Matter is kind of a, is, is supposedly on the left. It's a progressive organization. It's a progressive group 
uh, and it's supported by uh, far-left groups from Antifa and Democratic Socialists of America and and others, and also from more mainstream progressive groups, including the Democrat Party, who want to get out ahead of the race issue and say that they support these these organizations. But from the very outset, uh, the Black Lives Matter group has been openly anti-Semitic. In their riots in 2020, they attacked uh, Jewish businesses in Los Angeles and synagogues and everywhere from Los Angeles to uh, Peoria, Illinois, um, deliberately. They're also infused with the radical anti-Semitism of the Nation of Islam. You've had leaders of the Democrat of, of the Black Lives Matter movement, like Patrice Coulars, going to uh, going to uh, uh, going to the Palestinian Authority on organized trips where they can conflate uh, racial prejudice in the United States with uh, Israel's uh, oppression of the Palestinians, and they've done this, you know, eagerly, and uh, they've enabled the um, anti-Israel, the pro-Hamas, the pro-PLO, the pro-annihilation of the Jewish state, uh, Muslim groups to be um, an integral part of the intersectional alliance of Muslim organizations, progressive organizations, communist organizations uh, in, in, in America and in other countries throughout the world. So that's the last point I'll make is that this whole thing is under this headline of intersectionality. And the idea is just like you see with the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, gestalt, that there are only certain groups that are protected because they're the ones that are oppressed. So the intersectional alliance is the red green alliance in action where you have all of the groups that have been approved victim groups and the Palestinians are very much members of this group, the Muslim Brotherhood, which seeks the annihilation not only of Israel, but of the entire free world is very much a part of this group. And so they all work together. So a couple of years ago, New York University, um, you had the Muslim uh, uh, the Muslim students called for a boycott of all pro-Israel operations on campus. And that call was joined by 52 student groups because they're all part of this intersectional victims alliance. And so the Palestinians called for boycotting Jewish students. And you had 52 groups on New York University campus who signed on the petition and said that they would boycott these Jewish student groups. Wow. Uh, before I ask you about um, what we're missing in the news here, um, I do want to ask you, do, do you take any hope that the U.S. House of Representatives did, did vote to to censure Rashida uh, Tlaib, the um, uh, Democrat from Michigan, over her comments? Look, I think the problem is the same as you're experiencing in in um, in Canada, which is that you know all, the the surveys show since October seventh that two thirds or uh, a couple of weeks ago I saw three quarters of Americans support Israel and want Israel to finish Hamas, and not only do they support Israel, but they passionately support Israel. Uh, they think that supporting Israel is more important than any other foreign policy priority, including securing the U.S. border with Mexico. So that is passionate support. And yet uh, the quarter or the third of American voters who side with Hamas 
and against Israel are predominantly uh, members or voters of the Democratic Party. And so when, when President Biden looks at the situation, looks at the political reality of his party going into an election year, his willingness to actually do what the American people want him to do is is small, is smaller than you would expect it to be. His uh, his constant effort to balance U.S. support for Israel with U.S. efforts to curtail Israel's military efforts by, among other things, constantly hectoring Israel about what we can and cannot do in war and and trying to force us to accept ceasefires that will only aid Hamas and imperil our soldiers on the ground in Gaza. Um, it's because, among other things, I mean, there are also a lot of people inside of the administration holding key positions that are deeply hostile towards Israel, like the special envoy to the Palestinians, Hadi Amar, who has legion ties to Hamas. Um, so you have people in key positions in, in, the, in the State Department, in the Pentagon, in the White House, who have histories of anti-Semitism, of support for Palestinian terrorism, of hatred for Israel. But aside from that, if you assume that Biden really wants to support Israel, um, he has a political issue, which is that he has so many voters. The state of Michigan, for instance, hangs in the balance and he can't win re-election without Michigan, that it has the largest concentration of Muslim voters, and many, many of them are radicalized and hate Israel in the United States. And so He's looking at the political situation, and despite the overwhelming support that Israel enjoys from the American people, it's not clear that that support can actually be uh, translated over time into meaningful and lasting uh, support from the Biden administration for Israel as we pursue this this uh, existential war against this uh, monstrous group of 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 barb of uh, barbarians and savages. Uh, who want to do us all in, who want to do to us what they did to our brothers and sisters and children uh, on the Gaza border on October 7th and what they continue to do to the hostages. What are the, what are the main points, the main stories that we may be missing if we're outside of Israel? You watch the news constantly, you comment on it on your own show. Um, you know, I'm always pleasantly surprised when I see a, a good piece of reporting. And I'll give a shout out to NBC News that you know, interviewed and pushed the uh, Hamas leader on, on his call for a ceasefire recently. I thought that was good. But we often get, as we were discussing earlier, a one-sided view. There was a story that came out about uh, Israeli tanks protecting a corridor so that Palestinian civilians could leave. That that doesn't get played up in the news. What what should we know? What should we look for that we're not seeing in the mainstream media? Um, it, it's it's hard for me to tell because I haven't been following your media so much to give specific things. But I, I want to just make a couple of general points that I think are really important. The first one is that Israel always follows international law. So anybody claiming that Israel is not acting uh, uh, in, in, in accordance with the laws of war is lying. It's just not true. It's never been true. All right. Um, in Israel's 75 years history, there, there has been one recorded example of, of, uh, Israeli soldiers 
receiving an illegal order and carrying it out. And this was in the early 1950s. Okay. And so, you know, this is, this is a slander. So anything that you're reading in the paper that's claiming that Israel is carrying out war crimes is simply a lie. I think we said at the outset of our conversation, you know, the, the data of Palestinian casualties being put out by the so-called Gaza Health Ministry is all Hamas propaganda. We don't know. In 2002, there was a pitched battle between uh, dug-in Palestinian terrorists in Jenin against IDF reservists. And in the immediate aftermath of the Battle of Jenin, Jenin was the epicenter of the Palestinian suicide bomb complex. And every house in the area that was that was the that was the site of the battle was booby trapped, and our soldiers were being shot at from all directions. Okay, and at the end of the battle that day, the Palestinians said that it was like the Warsaw Ghetto, that Israel had conducted a carnage of Nazi-like proportions against innocent Palestinians. Kofi Annan, the Secretary General of the UN at the time called for a fact-finding mission and accused Israel of crimes against humanity. They said that there were 500 people killed, at least, and that they were all civilians, and that Israel had deliberately targeted them. And when the dust settled, we had lost 22 soldiers that day. And you know how many Palestinians were killed? 55. And you know how many of them were terrorists? Almost every single one of them. It was all a lie. And yet, the blood libel of the Janine refugee camp battle of night of 2002 lives on still today. They just created this lie. And all of these credible, moderate Palestinian spokesmen that the West always said that they were the, they were the peacemakers. They were the ones that need to get a two state solution. First and foremost, Saib Arikat, if anybody remembers that name, they were the ones putting out this blood libel on CNN to Christine Amanpour, and to all these other senior reporters. And none of the reporters that were propagating this blood libel were ever called to account for the lies. And none of the Palestinians who were disseminating this blood libel were ever disgraced and refused entry to television studios worldwide. And none of the international diplomats that were accusing Israel of carrying out Nazi proportion crimes against humanity were ever demoted or fired for doing this. But Israel, the, the blood libel of the Janine refugee camp lives on still today, and it resonates in the horrid, the wretched reporting regarding what's happening on the ground in Gaza. I don't know how many people on the Palestinian side have been killed, and I don't know what the breakdown is between civilians and terrorists. I have no idea, but neither does anybody else. But what I do know, and what everybody knows, everybody who knows anything knows, is that the data that is being put out by Hamas are lies. They're all lies. And the idea that the AP, the CBC, the Reuters, CNN, BBC, all of them are reporting these numbers, even if they say the, the Hamas-controlled Gaza Health Ministry, they are parroting lies being put out by a terrorist organization. People have to recognize that so much of the information that they're getting on the ground from Palestinian sources is pure and utter crap. It's just not true, and it's all propaganda. But that's not what they're getting. Instead, what they're getting is, according to Israeli military sources, but people on the ground in Gaza 
are disputing that. So that the people whose 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 honesty is questioned are the people who are almost always uh, uh, to a fault being honest, and the people who are being credited with truth telling are the people who are to a fault always lying. It's got to be incredibly difficult for you, Caroline. Thanks for the time today, and we'll continue to watch you on um, on your own show and uh, and perhaps speak again soon. Thanks, Thanks so much. And you can also follow me at jns.org and also on my website, carolynglick.com. Thanks so much for having me on your program. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. Remember, you can subscribe to the Full Comment podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices, and you can help us out by giving us a rating or leaving us a review. And make sure you tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly.